Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Find written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to Under the Helmet. Looking at some long-term player value in fantasy football. I'm your host, Chad Parsons, heading into week 10 here. And I want to go over a few different topics as we get to the home stretch of this 2023 Dynasty season. First one I want to discuss is tanking. Uh, there's a few different things. What is tanking? Also, some methods to prevent it and some twists that I've heard about in terms of preventing tanking on a macro level of your league. So these are things that just keep your spidey senses up. We all kind of look for it. I will say in my leagues, typically what happens regarding tanking is no one gives it a second thought. And then what happens is after the fact, at some point during a season, or again, this isn't in every league, but an occasional league where you see someone that doesn't even set their lineup. Uh, they've got teams on, they got players on buy. They've got injured players. They've got you know glaring uh, players that might have been on the bench because of a bye week a week or two ago, and they're still on the bench, and yet they are an auto start player, a can't cut player on the platform, or something of that ilk. And so it usually comes up with someone noticing that someone else in the league was playing against somebody, and guess what? You're probably in the playoff push against that team, that uh, they have a soft matchup. They have a cupcake matchup. They have a walkover matchup. And then it ends up coming about of, well, where's Jim? And then you end up getting in a uh, a conversation of, I haven't been able to get in touch with them. Well, we can't really change the previous results. All that of... It's in retrospect, and it's in the rearview mirror, and you can't really do anything about it. I will say this, that first of all, and these are two connected things, I think it is ridiculous that in in the typical league that isn't hosted on a mega platform, a hosting platform uh, of arranging and getting together and commissioning and running Dynasty Leagues, I think it is a pretty big sham that commissioners are not given at least some semblance of thank you for your work, thank you for your efforts. And I will say I've noticed, and myself included, that there's only so much and so much time that one is going to allocate allocate towards running the league if it is like, well, it's costing me hours every year. You know, especially if you fill vacancies, you set up the rookie draft, you manage the rookie draft. If it's Debbie, you got to go in there, swap out the players, uh, run the dispersal draft if need be. And then apparently every single week of the season, you're supposed to be looking out for suboptimal lineups. I will say this, that even kicking back, and this is not a for-profit, this is not a someone's going to get rich off of doing this venue. But what I'm saying is you don't know have what a bad a bad commissioner or having one that really doesn't check in at all is like until you have one and until you experience that i don't think we would be quibbling in our leagues if we kicked back again even 20 bucks 30 bucks 50 bucks it's still a fraction likely of what you're going to pay if you go through a site that is taking 
10, 15, 20 plus, 30 plus percent sometimes to run your league or run a league that you are in. So that's my first point is you want commissioners that are tuned in and going to pay more attention, actually make it not even worth their while, but compensate them for the time, energy, attention, passion, and experience they have with Dynasty Leagues and with running them and with being in them for years on end so that you know things are going to be run well. That's my first overarching macro point. And for anyone that quibbles at that, like, oh, it's a for-profit league. Really? Again, I'm not talking about big money. It doesn't have to be 10% of a $3,000 pot, hundreds of dollars per year that you pay your friend, your friend Joe for running your league. That's not what I'm talking about. Just a little something. Because again, I, I commission a few leagues and I'll tell you, like it's just an added little checkbox that I might have commissioned them and, and, and volunteered when the league might go under otherwise. And it, so it stabilized things. But as you keep going on, it's a thankless job that, frankly, there's a few times a year that people uh, want to circumvent you and uh, point things out and underhand you. And it's like, but it's still you. If you say, oh, would you like to do it? Are you interested? They go, oh, no, 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 no. I just want to point out things that you're doing that I don't really agree with. Um, Okay, so that's the first part. Second part is if as a commissioner, this is the time of year that when you get to Sunday morning, literally just click on the see all lineups. There's some sort of option there on the platform. I'm talking about MFL that you can go on there and see everybody's lineup. And you can quickly take a scan and see. And that's before the games start, the full slate. You might have missed something on Thursday, but the full slate. That scan probably takes you a minute. So that would would be the minimum threshold. And here's the thing. Have something, you can change it right now and say, if there is an obvious mistake slash subversive action by a team to start a known injured player, not something iffy that's on Sunday night, Monday night, and it's like, you know, I think that's my best play. I think I'm just going to leave them in there. I don't have a fail safe. And if they score a zero or an inactive, so what? But having the option to where it says, hey, Bijan Robinson's on your bench and you're starting some Jamoke running back three, that's, that's the wrong answer. I don't care if your team is competitive, not competitive. That is not right. So I would say have some sort of mechanism in the rules and put it in there. You can put it in there this week. And it's for future casting. It's not for going back in week five and changing someone's lineup. It's specifically like if you check and it's 30 minutes before kickoff on Sunday and you say that doesn't look right, as the commissioner, I have the right to change it for the well-being of the league, regardless of what matchup it is. Two bottom dwellers, uh, a great team and a poor team, two great teams, I don't care. That if something's completely obvious, this is beyond who do you want to pick up and stream and, again, an obvious guy that you've had on your team that I have the right to change it. So that would be another thing. The other thing that I mention every single year, and it pro- I could probably mention once every two months because there's way too many leagues that are not set up this way. Use potential points as the way to have draft position determined. So potential points, here's what it eradicates. Number one, it eradicates your lineup is not going to be the thing that determines your draft position. It will determine whether you make the playoffs or not if you're in a head-to-head league because you'll get wins and losses based on your lineup. What it will not do, though, is affect your draft position, assumptive that you are not making the playoffs. Therefore, when you have... Uh, when you have a, a player on your bench. So even in this scenario, again, we're going to try to eradicate this where the your best players are in your lineup. 
that, or you at least have a feasible option that is an NFL player there on your bench or ready to go. Again, sometimes uh, hyper quarterback premiums, we understand. There's no quarterbacks on the waiver wire. Start somebody, they're probably going to get a zero. That's the way it goes because of bye weeks, because of injuries, and you just got slammed in those two regards. I get it. But again, the potential points makes it so that your optimal, it's a best ball-centric lineup or calculation, that's going to be what determines who gets 101, 104 non-playoff teams. I love that method. It stops a lot of this. You might lose the matchup. That's part of the problem, but it's not going to affect draft position where a team just checks out for a month and they get the 101 because they had a suboptimal roster uh, in their lineup. Here's the third one that I wanted to mention that I just heard about it a week or two ago, was not familiar with it, and I've yet to see it play out in action or pay attention to how this works, but I find it fascinating. Where uh, one twist, well, uh, this is a 1A, 1B. FFPC has a method where you basically play a backdraw or consolation toilet bowl tournament, and you have to actually win that to get the 101. So, you know, if you're the worst team or the, t- uh, the two worst teams in the regular season, you get buys, so you advance through the first round, and then you have to win two games to get the 101. And there's a whole uh, bracket style that you can look through and be like, okay, now we're playing for 103, or this is playing for 101, or you can see exactly every single week what you're playing for. I understand the logic of that. It keeps everyone engaged for a, a lot longer into the season and into the postseason. However, you are typically giving the 101 to not the teams that need it the most. So I think the premise of rookie draft order is to try to even the playing field so that you have an, a 101 or 104 asset that is more valuable than that of 106 or 112 so that the teams that actually are worse get better or have the potential and have the pathway to get better. That's the premise of rookie drafting, the NFL draft, the NBA draft, all these all these things that you're to some degree you're taking that away. What by saying you need to actually win games late in the season. Now it keeps everyone dialed in and you're not going to get this shenanigans because pretty much if you go into that and you're like I mean you still got to win two games. So I think the worst the best you can have is is it 104, 105, something like that if you're the worst team in the regular season and you're just non-competitive in that consolation bracket, you're not going to even sniff 101. So, again, there's pros and cons to that. I'm not the biggest fan of that actual setup. I like potential points, but here is the adaptation to potential points that I recently came across. So you use potential points, and let's say, you know, at the end of, just use round numbers, let's say the average team scores, you know, 80 points a week, I don't know. I wanted to make the numbers easy. And let's say you have 1,000 potential points as you finish the regular season. You have another team that has 1,050 potential points. The the third lowest team has 1,100. And now you finish the regular season. What happens is you play the next three weeks. And I think it's uh, it's not really a head-to-head or anything. It's just you're scoring points. Uh, that your potential points in weeks 15, 16, and 17 in the playoffs while the other half of the league is going through the playoff bracket, the non-playoff teams, you actually subtract the the potential points you score in those weeks from your regular season tally. 
So if the bottom team ends up scoring 100 and the second team scores 110, that you would subtract the 110 and subtract the 100 from the 1,000, from the 1,050. So it's a way that the last three weeks you're playing, quote-unquote, for draft position, but it still is weighted heavily towards the potential points of 14 weeks. It's just the three weeks still matter. And if it's tight enough, then it could really shift things, 101 to 102 or 3, uh, 103 to 106. You know, And so it really depends. If there's a team worse than everybody, it's probably not going to matter. But it's, it's sort of like that environment where you do um, all play or you do a home field advantage for the better teams in the fantasy playoffs, and you say, it's not going to tilt a lot of matchups, but you, sh- you deserve something. I'm a big proponent of, he- of home field advantage in the fantasy playoffs, uh, the dynasty playoffs, where you get the benefit. Hey, I was better by 12 points per game in the regular season. I get that in the, in the, in the postseason. That's what I get in addition. That's the home field advantage for being the better team. I don't think it should be static. I think if you have two matchups that are close, two teams that are close, there shouldn't be much of a difference, and it's going to shift almost none of the matchups. But I do believe if you have a heavy favorite versus an underdog, and they were 30 points per week different in the regular season, I believe that should benefit you. Because, frankly, you know you play in the NFL to get home field advantage. It does matter. The better teams are at home. And guess what? The home team wins in the playoffs more than they lose. So I think you should be able to get some sort of advantage. Now, I like this blended method where you subtract those points. So that, again, non-playoff only, and you're playing for something. So if you are the type that you need everybody playing for something, instead of a toilet bowl, or, again, you could still do that, where I think that keeps non-playoff teams engaged as well. Maybe you freeze it and you say it doesn't affect draft position, but we're playing for 113 or 213, whatever you want the stakes to be. Uh, I I think that's a good idea. I I have that in a number of my leagues. But I think one of the other key factors here is blending it, having the basis of potential points, and then if you want to be playing the last two, three weeks of the season and saying that subtracts, I think that's a really great hybrid scenario. If you want to have everyone playing for longer in the season, you want to have some sort of stakes, and you want the teams that are down at the bottom to say, hey, I'm still trying to win. I'm still trying to stream defenses. I'm still trying to fill that tight end spot that's been a black hole for me. And instead of uh, in week 13 or 14 getting somebody that's basically a zero or a low number this season, for someone for the future. Instead of that, it may shift decisions a little bit more to saying, I need a streamable option. I need to score a few more points because that is that positive is actually a negative towards my potential point tally and it will help my draft position this season. So food for thought there uh, on paying commissioners. Again, it's almost like a tip at the end of the year. And I think commissioners in general would pay a little closer attention to tanking and these elements. Number two, write rules in right away. Uh, this can be something that you can put in right now. Hey, commissioner is going to check on Sunday morning and anything that is egregiously out of line, they're going to be changed. It's going to be changed live time. We're not going to go back in time on Monday or Tuesday when people see, oh, Joe scored 12 points. I wonder why that is. Well, he's, he started half of his team that's on by. And instead of seeing that you know, after the fact, See it before the fact. See that it's occurring and switch that lineup and have the flexibility and empower the commissioner to do that on Sunday. 
And then also talking about different methods, potential points instead of just total points. And then also, if you're interested in a future year, in a future league, the hybrid approach of everybody playing for something all the way until the final week. Next, I want to go over three running back situations that are not expensive and yet I think can change your season down the stretch. We're always looking for that Damian Williams type, uh, the Tim Hightower type that can come from the relative ether, not super expensive, might have been on the waiver wire a few weeks before they made an impact, and they can make a difference down the stretch. First one I wanted to go over is Travion Williams in Cincinnati. Largely already rostered, could still be poking around in some of your shallower formats, but an underrated Uh, transaction was Chase Brown going to IR. And that meant that Travion Williams was pretty much going to be unchallenged for the number two spot behind Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon is seeing a workhorse role this past week, for example, 61% route percentage, 82% rushing share. And that is a workhorse role. And this is an offense that when you consolidate it, uh, it's rising. It's a stronger team. You get T. Higgins now uh, playing up to more peak powers. Joe Burrow playing well. There's going to be plenty of scoring and longer drive opportunities here. The other data point here is Chris Evans. Chris Evans has not been a major element when he's out on the field. It seems like half the time he's split out and running routes and he's uh, a receiving centric option. I have zero faith that Chris Evans is going to be someone that sees more than six, seven, eight touches in a game, uh, even if Joe Mixon is out. So Travion Williams, super cheap, super affordable, a strong offense, and one that is very affordable from previous weeks and may still be poking around on the waiver wire. Number two is the Philadelphia Eagles. You want to talk about strong drives and perpetuating drives, touchdown opportunities, uh, basically playing first and nine, first and eight uh, with their regularity of going forward on fourth downs, one to two yard plays being the norm when they use the quarterback sneak. That the Philadelphia Eagles, we've had DeAndre Swift. This is a glorious run of durability and health for him in the NFL. You're injury prone until you're not. Well, DeAndre Swift right now is not. However, in UTH land and running back roundup land, all it is about is about painting the picture of what is life like if we get the injury on this depth chart next week. That's the whole game. That's the whole exercise. And that's the whole way to create variance on your dynasty bench. Well, if DeAndre Swift is out, I have a hard time thinking that Kenneth Gainwell is going to be the go-to plan for weeks on end. And both other guys... Rashad Penny and Boston Scott are highly affordable. Boston Scott is on a ton of waiver wires. He's a Philadelphia favorite. Rashad Penny is on fewer waiver wires. And both are wild cards, dart throws of saying, this could be the perfect storm later November, December, a one-week scenario in week 15, and all of a sudden they blow up for 20-plus points, and they win you a fantasy playoff game. So Boston Scott, Rashad Penny, this is on a team that is number five in high leverage opportunity score for the season. And coming down the stretch run, DeAndre Swift has been great. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell is probably going to stay close to within the radius of his current role where Boston Scott or and or Rashad Penny would see more time and encapsulate a ton of that DeAndre Swift role if Swift were to miss time. Finally, number three, and I want to highlight a 3A and a 3B. These are two notable names when you think back to the rookie drafting time when they were coming out of college. However, they have mired all the way to seeing them dropped in some dynasty formats. Uh, Both of them I have picked up 
two or three shares each since the regular season has started, and more than half of those have come in the last two or three weeks. So uh, I wanted to highlight Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He was out this past week, but he will be back. And also, this is a critical week to check to see if he's dropped by one of your league mates because week 10 is the Kansas City bye. Isaiah Pacheco is the clear starter, but this is similar to what I just outlined with the Philadelphia Eagles, which is Jarek McKinnon, technically the running back two by snaps and routes and everything on a week-to-week basis behind Isaiah Pacheco, I think Jerick McKinnon is not going to elevate much in terms of his role. It would be Clyde Edwards-Hilaire that elevates to some ratio, some proportion of the Isaiah Pacheco role as the starter, and McKinnon might see a little bit of an uptick, a marginal uptick, but not a graphic uptick in that receiving-centric number two role. Side note, I, are, I also see Jerick McKinnon rostered in way too many dynasty leagues, especially the shallower ones, as if everyone's waiting for the exact reiteration of the 2022 rise late in the season, that that's going to happen again for McKinnon. Color me skeptical there. Side note. But uh, the other one, the 3B, is there with the Jets. Uh, the Jets actually have a pretty good schedule coming up. I'm recording this before Monday Night Football in Week 9, but Michael Carter clearly ahead of Dalvin Cook. I know Dalvin Cook did not get traded for a cup of noodles, uh, maybe a, a bulk pack from Costco, something like that, but Michael Carter is the clear running back two on this depth chart. So if Brees Hall were to go down, number one, you want the guy catching passes uh, in an offense likely to trail, not very good. And so that's Michael Carter. And number two, Michael Carter is the type that we've seen him cameo a little bit as a starter in the NFL. It didn't quite work out. But those are the types when they fall to the running back two role on a depth chart. And they start getting dropped and they start getting valued like thirds and fourths in Dynasty. That's when you want to be back in on them. So instead of Michael Carter round one rookie pick, now I'm kind of liking it. Michael Carter free off the waiver wire. That's what is ultimately appealing to me, or Michael Carter throw into a dynasty trade valuation. So those are the three depth charts. Again, look for Michael Carter uh, as a lesser option. You've got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And then, of course, we have Travion Williams and we have the Philadelphia Eagles situation. All of those can impact and turn around your dynasty teams at a moment's notice if the perfect storm happens here down the stretch on the running back depth charts. Want to give a shout out to the recent winners on the UTH Best Ball Contest. The VIPs, the super fans, are in this annual contest built on a salary cap. Best ball, no transactions, and we see who the best team is at the end of the season. Week 8, shout out to Chris. Perfect storm week for Chris taking down the contest. And in fact, Chris is the top team entering week nine here in the contest yet to finalize. So he rises all the way up to the number one spot. Congratulations, Chris, taking down the contest. Um, I was in the top 10 that past week. And Katie Flower, number two, she is surging. She is rising. She's taking down the contest more than anyone else. So Chris, you better watch out for Katie is all I better say coming out here in the stretch run of the season. Chris built his team wide receiver heavy. He's getting dominant production out of A.J. Brown, getting surprising production and some some nice weekly floor with a reasonable ceiling out of Brandon Ayuk. Also, how about T.J. Hawkinson? 
Getting TJ Hawkinson has been a boon in this format with super tight end premium and the start two. And finally, Bijan Robinson and a healthier Javante Williams helped him out there in week eight, along with Zach Moss early in the season to fuel that number one overall current standing. Now week nine in the contest, I usually uh, hedge my bet when discussing who's ahead, who's going to end up winning the contest. But you know what, Julie, you lap the field possibly by more than I've seen for any week, singular week in this contest. Going into Monday Night Football, you have an 80 point lead. I think you can sleep soundly uh, if you go to bed early tonight before the games are complete because uh, you are rocking. CJ Stroud, you're one of the few in the contest that took a shot on Stroud. How about 50 plus points on the back of his five touchdowns overall? Uh, Jalen Warren found your lineup for a sneaky 16. You got Tank Dell stacking with CJ Stroud. He put up a, a cool 30 and your tight end Uh, heavy approach came to fruition this week. Jake Ferguson, Dalton Kincaid, Kate Otten, and Dalton Schultz all put up 28 plus points in this format. That was about half of your scoring for the week comes out of a fivesome at tight end. Even Noah Gray found your lineup. You had the absolute perfect storm even with Dawson Knox injured, even with Gerald Everett yet to play on Monday Night Football, even with a host of wide receivers like Puka Nakua and Rashid Shahid that didn't provide much of anything, couldn't find the end zone, couldn't find volume this week, you took down the contest easily. So congratulations, Julie, uh, for this week being the best of the best here in the UTH VIP and Superfan Best Ball Contest, powered by My Fantasy League. One last thought for this week that I'll leave you with is waiver wire is all over the place. Putting together the article for UTHDynasty.com and uh, a comprehensive show over at Patreon.com slash UTH. The biggest theme I saw was this is going to be a week very centric to your league. Uh, you may have some players going on by. You may have some uncertain injury situations at, say, tight end or wide receiver, and that may impact it. I listed a bunch of wide receivers and a few tight ends that are going to be ones that are viable. However, at running back, it's not the biggest week. Uh, there's maybe a couple cleanup items. Uh, Keaton Mitchell will be have to have to be, be one that you have to assess uh, the interest level and I go over that in depth on the Patreon show for the waiver wire on what your approach should be and Keaton Mitchell in my opinion is very uh, specific to what you're looking to do what your vision is and I think you have need to have a little bit different expectations if you are a dead red I, I want guys with the highest chance this week next week the next month with the chance to shine and impact my teams versus uh, am I looking for the future and what might have viability to flip in the offseason or end up riding into 2024. And I think Keith Mitchell is a good example of someone with maybe a little bit different vision based on what you're looking for with that roster spot. Also, already recorded running back roundup for the week. You saw a little bit of my points uh, at the running back position going over utilization, looking at upside, looking at situations, looking at high leverage opportunity score for those teams, strength of schedule. You get all of that for all 32 depth charts as we go through here on a weekly basis to optimize your bench. That show in addition to film notes. So you get running back roundup, you get UTH film notes, which was about 75, 80 minutes this week. And you get everything you need from A, 
distilling every play of every game on Sunday into that show that comes out overnight. Uh, so it's ready right in your inbox for your podcasting device of ch- and uh, app of choice. You get that. Plus on Mondays, you get Running Back Roundup and you get a variety of other shows, trade shows, profile shows, and you get updated rankings. You also get the running back and quarterback injury away matrices on the site. So you can always look at that updated throughout the week for a lot of information, notes as well that will help your dynasty bench. That's going to do it this week. Reminder about UTHDynasty.com and Patreon.com slash UTH. You can find all the content I produce, premium podcast-wise, written-wise, on a weekly basis. Thank you so much for listening. And this season is getting away from us. Let's enjoy it. This Honestly, like the last 24 hours, I now have my uh, my sea legs under me. Uh, I think I had a little 6 to 12-hour uh, doldrum of like, what week is this? What day is this? Is this season over? Is it Thanksgiving yet? Uh, but I found my second wind. And again, I want to thank listeners, subscribers, super fans, uh, because this is one where uh, analysts get a little malaise and a little tired too. And it usually happens somewhere between week eight, maybe week 12. It's different every single year, but just know that positive words, uh, know that folks are listening uh, through download numbers, uh, you know, the subscribers with questions, uh, the VIP chat, which is available over at patreon.com slash UTH as a key feature, uh, interacting with folks on a daily basis. Just know that is where I get my energy from in these lower moments. Usually I have zero problem, but sometimes late on a Sunday watching one of those bad, ugly uh, football games where it's like, what is the value? What is going on right now? But the love of football and frankly, uh, the love support and uh, kind words and just knowing that in a few weeks, we're going to be crowning some champions and subscribers winning, subscribers dominating their league, subscribers uh, trading for a pick that becomes 101 plus winning your league. I mean, that's double dipping there. So I love to hear stories like that around the holidays. And again, that's what it's all about, right? Pummeling our league mates, uh, dominating the offseason, and then going out and trying to repeat next year. So thank you so much uh, for being my energy at, at moments where I need a little push. And sometimes it's this time of year, getting to Thanksgiving, getting beyond, because we're all going to be cranked up when the fantasy postseason gets here. But sometimes getting there the last few weeks, it's a bit of a journey. And sometimes we need a little brotherly shove. I'm Chad Parsons. Until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties. 